So have you ever been convicted? My guess is that everyone in the room here has been convicted at some point in time in your life. Now, when I say convicted, okay, um, I don't necessarily mean convicted in the sense that you've been convicted of a crime, okay, although you may have. What I mean is I'm thinking about being convicted in the sense of an internal conviction. This past winter, an eight-year-old boy who is part of our family of faith here uh, at Kettlebrook saw a news report during the days of the polar vortex where there was people living in tents down in Chicago and how someone anonymously uh, paid for 70 people of those people living in tents to go and be put up in a hotel for a week during those deadly cold uh, nights. And this young boy could not stop thinking about this when he heard this news report about how people were homeless and how he needed to help them. He told his mom that they needed to get in the car and drive down there uh, and give them some clothes. Okay, He told his, his, uh, his siblings that he, what he was going to do is he got older, he was going to work to help serve homeless people all day long, and then at night he was going to get a job at McDonald's for like three hours to help make enough for himself to live on. And then his older brother told him that he was going to end up in a tent with that plan himself. Okay? But he, you know, he's at dinner and he's eating and he's telling his, his, his mom, hey, you know, I think I've always got more than enough food that, that I have to eat. Maybe I could give some of it away. See, he's convicted. He can't help but think about this. Perhaps some of you have been convicted about something like this. Something that there's, where you see kind of an injustice or something wrong out there. But conviction isn't always just something about that we see injustice, like out there, something that needs to be done out there. Conviction can also be something that needs to be done in here. A couple of months ago, I received a handwritten letter from one of my 10-year-old twins. It reads like this. Dear Dad, I see that you get mad at me for every little thing. When you do this, I think it means I'm not meeting your expectations. Because of this, I feel sad and as if I'm disappointing you. So what I do as a reaction to this is start to resent you and stop talking to you. What I would like you to do different is say I still love you. My fears about this are that I will grow up thinking I'm disappointing you. It will help our relationship by being more connected. I realize that it can be hard sometimes with five kids. What I can do is talk to you about it. I appreciate you for taking care of me, and I look forward to being more connected. Thank you for listening. Love your daughter. (laughs) So I ask you again, have you ever been convicted? As a father, this is convicting, okay? You know, I'm, I'm proud that my daughter is able to attend, express herself in this healthy way. We've been trying to give our kids tools to, to communicate in respectful, uh, responsible ways that are redemptive and clear. But man, you hear these words and I'm just like, whoa. Uh, what's happening is that when we're convicted, we're being exposed. This young boy was exposed to what was going on outside. I was being exposed by my daughter to what's going on in her heart and in my heart. And it's challenging because when we're exposed, we can see clearly what's going on. And that's what conviction does. Now, we, the question that we may want to ask is where do these convictions come from? Where do these convictions come from when we hear these things or 
Is it moral conditioning? Is it moral intuition? Does this come because of evolution and natural selection? At Yale, there is a sociologist named uh, Philip Gorski, Dr. Philip Gorski. He writes extensively about this subject. And he makes the case that there has been a massive failure of the social sciences to develop a satisfactory theory of ethical life. In other words, he's saying those thoughts, those approaches, is not, is not where convictions come from. Could it be that these convictions are not natural to us, but that perhaps they're supernatural? Could it be that these the convictions, when they come, are evidence of some things? Evidence of a of a pure morality, evidence of a pure justice that comes not from us, not from within us, but from outside of us, from God himself. This is what apparently Jesus Christ believed, because this is what he taught. The convictions come from God, and more specifically, they come from the Holy Spirit. Now, last week when Mike kicked the series off, we learned some things about the Holy Spirit. If you were here, those who trust in Jesus Christ are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit, he is a guarantee of the kingdom of God for those who trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is also the power of God, the power of the kingdom of God in our midst. So we kind of looked at last week what, or who the Holy Spirit is. This week we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does, at least part of his role. And we will see that part of his role is to convict us. So to do that, we're going to hear the words of Jesus, because that's what he says. And we're going to look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16 is in the Brown Bibles on your, under your chairs on page 765. So I would encourage you strongly to pick up a Bible, open up your app or whatever, and follow along with me as we read verses 5 through 11. I know if you were here last week, it said 5 through 16. I was studying this week. Honestly, it's a whole other message, the 12 through 16. I couldn't get it in. I'm already going to probably go long as it is, so get ready for that. Here we go. Um, it's, just, it's just three simple concepts this morning that we're going to see, but they're very profound. I want to pray, and then we'll dig into this. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, dwelling among us now, would speak to us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and the ears and our minds to hear what you are saying through him, that we would be convicted for your glory and for your sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 16. This is Jesus. This is the, the, the last largest block of teaching that we hear from Jesus. He had just um, celebrated the, his last supper, washed his disciples' feet, and now he shares some kind of final big teaching words with his disciples. And so they're sitting around, uh, and he says this. Chapter 16, verse 5. Now, I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is God's word. So Jesus here is with his disciples and he reveals to them, hey, I'm taking off. I'm going to leave. But don't worry, it's going to be better. 
Now, I'm sure when his disciples hear, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave you, that's not exciting for them. They've been through a lot over the past three years. And to hear him say, I'm going to leave you guys is not maybe what they had in mind. But he says, you know what, don't worry, it's going to be better for you. Now, I don't know how you would have received that, but I want you to imagine going to one of your children and saying, hey, mommy or daddy, are, we're going to leave. Uh, but don't worry, it's going to be better for you. Okay? That's not how that conversation is probably going to go. In fact, those of you who are in the military have actually probably had that conversation maybe a number of times in this room, and that's not how that conversation goes, is it? But yet, here's what Jesus says genuinely. He says, hey, if I leave, it's going to be better because I'm going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you and in you. Okay? Now, the Greek word here is a Greek, it's a word called parakaletos. Um, it's a big word that, that the scholars have tried to figure out what does this exactly mean. And so it's just defined in a bunch of different ways. It could be comforter, counselor, advocate, in, intercessor. But it's the Holy Spirit that Jesus is referring to. We know he's referring to the Holy Spirit here because of uh, an earlier block, just a, about a chapter and a half earlier this, in chapter John chapter 14, we find this. Jesus says this, but the counselor, i.e. the Holy Spirit, okay, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here, and he tries to make the case that it's going to be better for them when he leaves because they'll now have the Holy Spirit. Now, just a quick, uh, just a quick time out, because sometimes I hear people say this. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, when he comes... Sometimes I think we talk about the Holy Spirit as it, okay? I just think we should probably not do that because Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as Him because the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we should be able to relate to the Spirit in the same way that we relate to to a Father or a Son, okay? So when you say Holy Spirit, you think of Him in terms of Him, not it. But now help me out in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, when He comes, He will what? He will what? He will convict. He will convict. And specifically, Jesus says he'll convict in three ways with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So that's what I want to break down for you is these three things. First, the Holy Spirit, he will convict us in regard to sin. If you want to know, if you want to get a little bit of a gauge as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is working in you, one way that you can gauge if he's not is if you sin and you are completely apathetic about it. If you sin against someone else, against the Lord, and you just don't care, the Holy Spirit is not working in your heart and your life in that way. Because the Holy Spirit is holy, and holiness and sin don't go together. They're like oil and water. And so there's going to be a butting of heads. If the Holy Spirit is working, he's going to say, this is not right. We need to, this needs to go. Now, imagine um, most of you have uh, one of these in your home. Can you, anyone help me out what this is? Say, more of you than just Dave should know what this is. Okay, it's really per code you should have this. Denise, can you see this? It's a carbon monoxide detector. I'm sorry, it's a long ways. It's fair. It's not very big. Thank you, Dave. It's a carbon monoxide detector. Okay? Now, you should, you're supposed to have one of these in your house so that you can detect carbon monoxide, right, which is odorless. Um, you can't see it. It's basically a silent killer, uh, invisible poison, right? I mean, smoke detector is one thing, right? You burn the pizza, it smokes, you know the thing's going off. You can smell smoke, you can see smoke. Carbon monoxide, you can't. And so you need to have one of these in your house to detect this deadly killer. 
I believe that perhaps a, a, an image of the Holy Spirit is the carbon monoxide detector. Because, because what the Holy Spirit does is He's able to, to get inside of our heart and our heads and know our thoughts and um, where our hearts, our motivations are before even our sinful actions play themselves out. So the Holy Spirit can, can tell what you're thinking. He can tell what's going on in your heart. Because you know when, the, when this thing goes off, and it's piercingly loud, by the way. You, if you haven't heard, I just unplugged it to get this out. And it's like, then I had to figure out how to turn it off. It's just, it's, a, it's just really loud and obnoxious. But this thing says, hey, there's, if this goes off, there is something wrong in your house. You need to open the windows, the doors, and get out. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's in, this, in a similar sense, it's warning us, hey, there is something going on in your heart and your mind that is going down a road that we do not want to go down because holiness and sinfulness are not in the same space. They're not supposed to be. So if you're here this morning and you're engaged in anything from, I don't know, gluttony to gossip to theft to envy to greed, whatever. If you're, if you're engaged in that and you're not, and the alarm's not going off when that's happening, then the Holy Spirit's not working in that part of your life. Okay? Sin breaks God's heart, and it should break ours as well. And so the Holy Spirit's job is to let us know when that's happening, convict us. Now, I want to make something very clear. It's very important about this convicting thing. When the Holy Spirit convicts us in sin, with with regard to sin, it's not with shame. It's not with shame. I think sometimes we actually get the devil and the Holy Spirit mixed up. Because what the devil does is the devil says, hey, why don't you go over and do this thing or uses your flesh or whatever kind of like weaknesses that you have and says, hey, let's do this thing. You do it. And then he says, oh, look at what you did. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should go hide. In fact, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, the first sin took place. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They hid. God didn't tell them to hide. God didn't say, you go hide yourself. God came towards them. He walked towards them and he just asked some questions. God the Father says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? What is this you have done? See, when the Holy Spirit convicts us with regard to sin, He does it in the same way that the Father does, in the same way that Jesus does. Jesus comes upon a woman who is caught in adultery, and He says to everyone else around her who wants to stone her to death, He says, hey, whoever's throw, you know, without sin in here, throw the first stone. He draws her near to Him. And then in that nearness, he says, now go and sin no more. So the Holy Spirit will convict us in regard to sin in a way that will not push us away from the Father, but in such a way that will seek to draw us near to the Father. Does that make sense? This is really important. The Holy Spirit will not convict us in a way that will seek to push us away from the Father. The Holy Spirit will convict us in a way that will seek to push us away from sin, not the Father. This is really important. Okay? So if you're convicted in a way that pushes you away from God, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. And if you're convicted in a way that, uh, if, you're, if you're convicted to push away sin, uh, that probably is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Holy Spirit convicts in regard to, what was the first thing? In regard to sin. Second thing, in regard to righteousness. Now you're here and some of you are like, I don't, that Troy, we don't use righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness, simplest probably way to say it was just, it's rightness. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if perfection is the way to go, but it's kind of like right thought and action. 
Okay, so so why would the Holy Spirit convict us with regard to righteousness if righteousness means rightness? Because the Apostle Paul said this. He said, there's no one righteous. There's not one. Jesus said, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. You know why? Because if he came to call the righteous, he wouldn't be able to call anybody. So then why again does the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to convict him with regards to righteousness? You, you and I have all said, we've all at some point said this in our lives. Nobody's perfect. See, you said it. Nobody's perfect. And you know it's true. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So why, do we con- why was the Holy Spirit convicted in regards to righteousness when there's no one who's righteous? Well, I think there's a couple ways this can play out. One is our eight-year-old little brother of, in Christ, he was convicted in regards to righteousness because he saw something happening that he wants to do something about it. Okay, I think that's one way in which that plays out. Some of you in the room are engaged in what's called the repair group. That's our racial reconciliation group. And you sense a call to, towards rightness in seeking racial reconciliation. Some of you in the, in the room are, as Kim mentioned, uh, wanting to be uh, caring for the orphans. Because you're like, there's rightness that needs to happen there. And so there's a conviction by the Spirit to say, I want to engage in that rightness. Some of you are wanting to engage in rightness because um, some need advocates, as Joe talked about. And so you're engaging to be an advocate for someone because that is rightness. Some of you are engaged in, in, in caring for the unborn because you believe there's rightness there that needs to be taken care of. So I think when we're convicted in terms of righteousness, that's one way that can play out. Another way, though, that I think it plays out is conviction in terms of righteousness, and I'll just use the word self in front of it, self-righteousness. Jesus was incessantly calling out the Pharisees in wrongly directed righteousness. Constantly calling them out on it. Because they're going out, they're saying, hey, I'm going to go stand on the corner and pray so everyone can see me. Look at how righteous I am. I'm going to go up to the temple and present myself because everyone can see and I'm going to uh, keep all the laws on the Sabbath perfectly so that, you know, um, look at how right I am. He's just calling them hypocrites constantly. Because he knows what's here. He knows what's here. It's misplaced righteousness. You see this actually, you see the conviction of sin and the conviction of righteousness in the parable of the prodigal son. Many of you know the story of the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Father's got two sons. The youngest son asks for his share of the inheritance and then gets it. And then he goes off and blows it. Sins like Vegas style, whatever. Like goes and just blows it all. And then comes to a realization where he's convicted. He's in a trough, a feeding pig trough. And he comes convicted. He goes back towards, and that conviction goes back towards his father. His father receives, runs towards him. That's convicting of sin. But there's also a conviction of righteousness in that parable because there's an older brother who's been like, hey, I've been here the whole time. I don't want to go to your dumb feast for this for this." This other, your, this child of yours? And Jesus, I think, is seeking to convict that other, the older brother of righteousness, his self-righteousness. And he's seeking to draw him near and into this feast. And we don't know when that parable ends, whether he actually comes in or if his self-righteousness keeps him from the Father. For some of us in the room, I think the greatest need we have is actually for the Holy Spirit to convict us of righteousness, self-righteousness. If you're here in this room and you're like, I'm a good person. If you're here in this room and, and you think that you come to the gatherings because that's what good people do or you want other people to see you or maybe it's like a punch clock for God. You're like, see God, I do this thing, I do that thing. 
If you're like, you know what, I'm good in God's eyes because I give to charity or I volunteer. If, if someone asks you, hey, what happens to you when you die? You say, well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. Like, I need you to know that the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you in that because that is not correctly directed righteousness. You, that's self-righteousness. And the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you in that. To say, hmm, there's only one who is righteous. So you might say, Troy, what does it look like when the Spirit convicts us of righteousness? Well, here's what happens. You say you're a good person, the Holy Spirit whispers to you in your heart and your mind and says, no, there's only one who's good. You're, you're reminded, you remind yourself, you know, I've really made good, wise decisions, and that's why my life has turned out the way that, it, that it's turned out. The Holy Spirit turns your head and says, wait a minute, let's look at the cross. Let's look at the empty tomb. This is not by what you have done, but what, by what Jesus has done. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Someone tells you that you're awesome, the Holy Spirit says, no, you need to give credit to God. He's the only one who's awesome. That, if that happens to you, that's the Holy Spirit working. Because he points to Jesus over and over and over again. Now, I want to give you three quick stories as to where I've seen this happen just in the last week and a half. I'm killing two birds with one stone here because I'm trying to give you an update from Chad Africa as well. Some of you know our partners, Eric and Molly Croner, who are there. And they are um, serving in Chad as a medical doctor. He is, and she's with him as well. And there's a gal named Sally. Many of you heard us tell stories about Sally for the past couple of years because Sally is the first follower of Jesus in the whole area, and God's doing amazing, crazy, amazing things through her, okay? So, so I'll give you a couple stories. I'll give you all three of these things. Because one Mike talked about last week, the Spirit is the power of God. Well, here's what's happening. Sally's praying for people in Jesus' name, and they're healed. They're like physically healed. Demons are driven out. I know it sounds crazy. First-hand people are seeing this stuff happen, okay? So, but Molly uh, shared this, this last week. Last week, she says, Sally prayed healing over a man possessed for seven years. He and his wife had spent all they had on doctors and had chosen not to have children out of fear of passing on the demons. Sally prayed in Jesus' name and he was healed. Amen? Amen. I'm not done. I'm not done. It gets better. But he's not, because it's not just all these crazy miraculous things that the Spirit's doing. Let me give you some convicting things that are happening. I want to talk about one and two, convicting of sin. Here's what Molly writes. The religious leaders who administer Sharia law called Sally again, because they want her to stop talking about Jesus and threaten to kill her if she doesn't. She met with them for four hours, and they told her they were going to take her to the capital city where she might be tried and killed. A week later, one of the prominent religious leaders in town told Sally if she paid them $50, which is not a lot of money here, but for them it's a ton of money, that he could prevent her from going to the capital city. She replied, even if you asked me to pay one dollar, I would not pay you. It's better for you to take me to the capital than for me to engage in bribery. She called him out in his sin. Holy Spirit works through her to convict him of sin. Uh, Molly writes, he was mad but speechless. No other leader has approached her about taking her to the law in the capital, I bet. Okay? So the Holy Spirit's using her to that first thing to convict of sin with this other man. Now, let me just talk about even convicting her of righteousness. One more story. There is a woman married to a head religious leader uh, in town who is very open to Sally and has led Sally to several of her people who want to know more about Jesus. This woman led Sally to another woman this past week. This new seeker asked Sally how she came to faith. And uh, she told Sally that her daughter was possessed by demons. And she asked Sally if she would pray for her daughter. 
Sally made it known that she has no power to heal, only God can. But she is willing to pray in Jesus' name. The seeker tried to give Sally money at least three times, as their custom is when seeking healing. Sally refused and eventually had to be very firm, saying she cannot receive money because that would be like saying she healed, but only God can heal. That, that is the Holy Spirit convicting Sally of righteousness as she gives credit where credit is due. See how this plays out? The power of God through the Holy Spirit, the convicting of the Holy Spirit in sin and righteousness. And then, by the way, she went on Tuesday and prayed in Jesus' name, and that girl was healed as well. So I'll ask you this morning, in what ways is the Holy Spirit seeking to convict you of sin, of righteousness? Lastly, number three, the Holy Spirit will convict in regard to judgment. How do we know what that looks like? Well, Jesus says in verse 11, the Holy Spirit will convict because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Because here's the thing. Satan wants to see you condemned. He loves, he would love that, to see you condemned for your sins. He's the accuser. He plays the game, tries to tempt you, and then accuse you, and then have you condemned by God, demanding that God would be just and judge you for it. But here's a very important thing to understand. Jesus was unjustly condemned so that you and I can unjustly be declared free. So the Holy Spirit's job is to help convict us of judgment, of what is true and right judgment. When it comes to judgment, I think the Holy Spirit can also convict us of when we are trying to be the judge ourselves. Now, uh, last week I had a sister in Christ here who's part of our family of faith, asked if she could set up a, a meeting with me. And she wanted to share with me what God had done through um, the work of the Holy Spirit. In the last series, the Lamentations series, something happened uh, in that series. And so uh, we met, and I was like, this is profound. Can I, can, can, would you share this in front of the family? And she said, yes, uh, I just don't want to do it from the front. Can, can I write it and out and can you read it? And I said, that's okay. I said, but when I talked to Stephanie about this, she says, they're going to be hearing you talk for 25 minutes or whatever. Why don't you have a woman read it? Because then it'll be a woman's voice sharing a woman's story. And so I've asked, um, I've asked Marcia Temez to come up and read this story for us. Convicting in regards to judgment. In 2003, I was married to what seemed to be the love of my life. As newlyweds, we were smitten and escaped on our honeymoon, excited to enjoy the sunshine and the sea. However, just days into our picturesque marriage, the sunshine faded and the darkness crept in. Why did I feel so cheap? Why did I feel used? Little did I know a deep secret was in my husband's heart, and it was rearing its head. The color drained from my face as I tried to process his words. I tricked you into marrying me. The magnitude of the sentence started to sink in, and I honestly wanted to vomit. Years of getting to know each other, nights of sharing our hearts, our dreams, our desires, all gone in an instant. None of it was true. My brain seemed to replay every glance, every touch, every word. I didn't know him. His pornography addiction was his bride, not me. I had been sharing his affections and had never known. No one did. This addiction had taken over every inch of his life, his relationships, his finances, how he viewed God, and how he viewed himself. His pain spewed from inside of him and hit the target in front of him, me. There were years filled with abuse. Completely devastating and empty, I saw the writing on the wall. 
Nothing was going to change. I had been lied to and taken advantage of, manipulated and abused. This wasn't my fairy tale. This was a nightmare, and divorce was imminent. As I walked to the stand, my chest felt tight. It was hard to breathe. There he was, the man I once loved and the monster he had become. He had abused me freely and seemed to have no remorse. Although I was guided to the witness stand at the divorce proceedings, I longed to sit in the judge's seat. Oh, to grasp that gavel and sentence him to what he truly deserved. He should be abused. He should be used. Life sentence. End of story. But God, in his mercy, had a different ending. After 14 years of harboring anger and bitterness, I wept openly as I sang out the words during the gathering. Lord, will you weep with me? I don't need answers. All I need is to know that you care for me. Lord, I know you hear me, I thought. My heart seemed to skip a beat as the Lord whispered, I hear him too. I love him too. Could it be the man that violated me? The man that broke his vows? He deserves love. You weep with him, God? Yes, the Lord spoke every day. Over the next week, I tried to put this picture out of my mind. The gavel was firmly in my grasp. I didn't want to let that go. On the following Sunday, I heard another story of abuse. However, this ending of this story was supernatural. I heard a sister recount her experience and say, I realized we had a common enemy, and that was sin. As communion began, those words seemed to echo over and over again. The common enemy was sin, not my ex-husband. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit intervened. Fourteen years of anger, hate, and bitterness seemed to melt away. I raised my hands in surrender. Take him, God. I am so sorry. I am putting down my gavel. I have to let him go. I realized that I could not fully participate in communion until I was able to share that cup. Grace wasn't just for me. Forgiveness wasn't just for me. It was given for all, even for the man who had hurt me the most. I realized I had never been the judge. I laid down my gavel, and for the first time, I am finally free. Praise God. Thanks for reading that, Marcia. See, family, our sister was being convicted of judgment because she was being convicted of wanting to be the judge. But the Holy Spirit convicted her to lay the gavel down. Some of you might be in the same place this morning. That perhaps there's someone that you, you are just waiting with that gavel to judge. You desire so strong in your heart to judge. The Spirit may be telling you, convicting you with respect to judgment, that Jesus was judged instead. So this is some, this is some of the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? To convict with regards to sin, to righteousness, and judgment. But here, in each case, the Holy Spirit's seeking to draw us near to the Father, not to push away from the Father. To draw us near to Him, to push away from sin. And some of you, for some of you, that this might be refreshing news. Because maybe some of you here have been burdened for a long time. Maybe you've been overwhelmed. Maybe it's been years worth of something that maybe you've done or you haven't done that's been weighing on your heart. But you felt like your whole life you just find yourself pushing away from God, thinking He's an angry Father, constantly looking for for you to mess up. Maybe you felt like my daughter when she wrote me this letter. So I actually want to read it again 
And I want to read this letter as if you are writing it to God, because I think there's a chance some of you may actually feel this way towards God. Dear Heavenly Father, I see that you get mad at me for every little thing. When you do this, I think it means I'm not meeting your expectations. Because of this, I feel sad and as if I'm disappointing you. So what I do as a reaction to this is start to resent you and stop talking to you. What I would like you to do different is say I still love you. My fears about this are I'm going to grow up thinking I'm disappointing you. It will help our relationship by being more connected. What I can do is talk to you about it. I appreciate you for taking care of me, and I look forward to being more connected. Thank you for listening. See, if this is where you're at, I have good news for you. Because the Spirit convicts us, but He seeks to draw us near. To point us to Jesus. Because here's the thing. The Spirit convicts us of sin, but Jesus Christ took on our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts in in respect to righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts in, in, in regards to judgment. Jesus Christ took our judgment upon the cross. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of these things to draw us near to the Father and push away from sin. Now, I will tell you that conviction is not going to be always comfortable. It's not always going to be convenient, but it's going to be significant. Because as we trust in Jesus, you know what happens? God the Father is not mad at us for our sins because His anger towards sin has been poured out on His Son instead of us. Can we, meet, can we meet God's expectations? No, we can't. Jesus has met them for us. And because of this, we don't have to be sad anymore. We don't have to resent God and draw away from Him, withdraw. Jesus Christ is the way that the Father says, I still love you over and over and over and over and over again. He's the way that God takes care of us. And then Jesus empowers us now with the Holy Spirit. So those that trust in Him can be regularly connected to the Father, which is a beautiful thing. Amen? Here's what I want to do. Uh, Christian's going to come up um, and play some music. The, The team actually can come back up. We're going to play just, uh, just, just a little piano music for a minute here as I pray. And what, um, as I was preparing this week, more than anything that I've said, I want to give the Spirit just a couple minutes here to do His work. He, he may have started that work in your heart a long time ago. But perhaps today, you might hear Him loud and clear as He seeks to convict you and me of sin of righteousness and judgment to convict us of Jesus bearing our sins. Jesus being our righteousness, being our judgment. So I'm going to give us some space for the Spirit to do that. Father, I pray now that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that he would do his work of convicting us and we would respond to those convictions that we would obey those convictions, that we would move and take steps towards following your Son in those convictions. Be with us now, Lord.